So again, happy Independence Day. What a great blessing to be a part of this great, great nation. What a great blessing to be a part of this great, great church. And again, we look forward to the coming of Tucker Sullivan as our youth minister next Sunday, our uh, uh, coming of Elizabeth Hunt and getting to celebrate with their family sometime down the line, not next Sunday, but sometime down the line. And we're excited and blessed to have them. So if you and your families are worshiping with us online, either live or a little later, welcome. We are ecstatic uh, and stoked, I believe is the biblical term. We are stoked that you are coming to be a part of us. We, we cannot, literally cannot wait. Um, this morning, I, as we celebrate Independence Day as a nation, um, uh, we are very grateful, as Galen shared, as Eric and others have shared, uh, we are very grateful for the blessing that we have as a part of this country. And we thank God and we pray to God. That wonderful song that we sang earlier, America the Beautiful, is a prayer. And it's a prayer that this country would be uh, what God intends it to be. And it's right for us to pray for our country. I received a note from our dear sister Ruby Cliver a couple of weeks ago about some interesting facts about Washington, D.C. Uh, There is under the roof a piece of metal on top of the Washington Monument that reads Laos Deo, in English, praise be to God. And also the note she gave me says this, the city of Washington, D.C. is laid out in a cross, White House to the north, Jefferson Memorial to the south, Capitol to the east, and the Lincoln Memorial to the west. So we do pray for God to shed his grace on this country and upon all nations of the world. All are uh, formed and created in the image of God. Just as Eric shared, all are in need of the message and the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. So if you were coming today looking for a sermon about what Bill thinks about church and state kind of stuff, I hate to disappoint you, but I already preached that one. Um, And you missed it, perhaps, but it was on April the 11th, and it was in our series uh, on Romans, and it was based in Romans 13. And so I invite you to go on our website and uh, look, uh, look up that series of sermons, look up that sermon from April the 11th. I'll be glad to interact with you about that one. Uh, But for those of you that were here, good news, I'm not going to preach that one again today. So you're welcome. Um, But it is a wonderful blessing to be able to celebrate our great nation today. But as great as that blessing is, there's a blessing even greater, far, far greater. And that's the blessing that we have of freedom in Jesus Christ. And as we've been sharing in this series of sermons about the way Jesus interacted with people, the way Jesus spoke to people and preached to people and healed people, even confronted people. We're going to read a little bit of a story of how Jesus did that with a particular woman. And this woman was found in John chapter 4. What the Samaritan woman at the well really wanted was to be free. We're all pretty familiar with that story, very likely just like we are familiar with the story of Zacchaeus that we'll mention in just a few moments. But I believe as we read these words and as we reflect on Jesus' interaction with this woman from Samaria, this woman at the well, this woman who 
had lived a morally suspect life and was unrepentant, it seems, up until this interaction with Jesus. I believe that what the Samaritan woman at the well really wanted was to be free. John 4, beginning in verse 1, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. And we've said before, verse 4 is actually not completely true in this perspective. He did not have to go through Samaria Judea to the south, Galilee to the north, Samaria, that Roman province in between. And Jesus could very easily have gone around. Yes, it would have been longer. Yes, it would have been harder. But a lot of Jews did that. Jesus chose not to do that. And for Jesus to have interactions with this woman and perhaps others, as we know for sure, in that area, to do that, he had to go through Samaria. So he came, verse 5, to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, a historical well that still can be looked up and found today. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So it was just Jesus sitting at the well. And then this Samaritan woman comes up and we're thinking, why weren't more people there? Because they didn't go there at that time of day. It was too hot. It was too hot. The Samaritan woman did go there. Why did she go at that time of the day? I think, as you probably know, the real reason she went there was because no one else would be there. And yet... Jesus was. And instead of ignoring her, instead of distancing himself from her, who was this unclean Samaritan, this sinful woman, as we'll read, Jesus not only stayed around her, but actually initiated the conversation with her. Will you give me a drink? He asked. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Certainly not Samaritan women would a Jewish man associate with. Certainly not a, a Samaritan woman who is such a sinner. She was taken aback. She couldn't believe that Jesus was there and she really couldn't believe that he interacted with her. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And the answer to her question is yes, by far. Yes. Jacob Jacob could buy this well. The Samaritans could use this well. The woman could go and draw water from this well. But this was not living water. Only Jesus can give that. 
Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She said, that sounds pretty good to me. I would love to not have to come here ever again. And not just because it was hard, not just because the, the water she took back home was heavy. She didn't want to interact with anybody. She would have loved the last 16 months, Eric. <laughs> Stay in my home, no problem, love to. Not interact with others, dream come true for me because the only thing that brings me is hurt and pain and the feelings of unworthiness verse 16 Jesus leaves preaching and goes to meddling (laughs) he told her go call your husband and come back the one conversation she didn't want to have with anyone is exactly the conversation Jesus forces. He has a very annoying way of doing that, doesn't he? And she could have responded in any number of ways. But the way she responds convinces us that she is already convinced that this man who stands before her, who sits before her, who is interacting with her is someone special. Someone so special that she decides to tell the truth. Go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And this amazes the woman even more. That not only is this Jewish man interacting with her, a Samaritan woman, he knows. He knows her worst secrets. Sure, the neighborhood, the community knows. That's why she's there by herself. But then to meet a stranger, someone who shouldn't know this at all, that part's amazing. But I can tell you, my friends, even more amazing is this. Jesus, knowing those things about her, still spoke with her, still sat with her, still interacted with her, still accepted her. Condoned her sin? Of course not. That's why he speaks this word of confrontation but accepted her, interacted with her, did not separate himself from her. That's the greatest miracle of all, as far as she's concerned. Of course, the passage goes on, and Jesus and this woman interact about a question she has about worship, worshiping in spirit and in truth, spiritual, truthful, honest, genuine worship from the heart, Jesus tells her about. 
And then she says in verse 25, I know that Messiah, the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And when she says that, she's really saying this, is that you? Because that's the only one I could think of, I could dream of, who would actually treat me with respect and consideration and love. And so she throws that one out there with a little hopeful tone. And Jesus doesn't do for very many what he does for this woman. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am. I am he. I am the Christ. He hesitates to do that with almost everyone, but not this woman. Then the disciples come back and the woman takes off because the last thing she wants to be is to be about any other Jewish men. (laughs) But she runs home and she tells. She tells everyone who would listen. She tells everyone who would not listen. (laughs) She tells them all. The the disciples worry about Jesus much like his family did that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You need to eat something. And Jesus says, are you kidding? I'm too excited to eat. I have food that you don't even know about. Doing the will of the Father is all the food we need right now. How How can you talk about food? And then verse 39 of John 4, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. These people she had always tried to avoid, she sought out. She went to them. She initiated the conversation with them. Why? Because she had met a man who knew all about her and yet sat with her, spoke with her. Could this be the Messiah. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days, unlike the people of his hometown and other places who wanted him to leave. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What a great, great moment. What this Samaritan woman, what all of them wanted was to be free, but free from what? Let's think about this Samaritan woman and share a few things about the freedom that she longed for. Not freedom from the Jewish leaders, not freedom from the Romans, from being oppressed. What was the freedom she so desperately sought. First of all, she wanted to be free from being an outcast. The shame that others gave her. The shame that Jesus refused, refused to let become a wall between them. Even though if anyone had the right not to speak to her, it was Jesus. She wanted desperately to be free from being an outcast, to be free from the shame that others gave her. And there are a few scripture passages there that talk about how Jesus did this time and again. That woman in Luke 8 who snuck up on Jesus and just touched the hem of his garment, the the bottom part of his 
coat so that she could be healed from her bleeding disorder, and she was, and that bleeding disorder caused her all these years to be ceremonially unclean, to be an outcast, to be limited in the interaction she could have with others. Luke 19 is the story about our young friend or our friend, Zacchaeus. And Jesus, instead of going around the tree, stops there and looks up at Zacchaeus and calls him down and goes to his house of all things. This man who was a tax collector, one of the leaders of the tax collectors. And, and, and in reply, Zacchaeus says, look, I'll, if I've wronged anyone, and you're thinking, if? <laughs> if I've wronged anyone, I'll pay him back a whole lot more than I owe. And Jesus says salvation has come to this man's house today because he too is a part of the people of God in spite of how you others treat him. Because the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew 9 goes even further. There was another man who was a tax collector and Matthew not only receives interaction and respect from the Lord, he's called to be one of his 12 apostles one of those closest friends. This woman wanted to be free from being an outcast. Secondly, she wanted to be free from her personal shame. It's not just that others treated her with shame. She felt it herself. They couldn't pile on any shame that was any worse than what she already gave to herself. Don't we all understand that? We've taken ourselves down that same path because of our own sinfulness. She wanted to be free from her personal shame, free from the guilt and shame that she felt herself. And we understand that too, and there are several examples of that listed there. Of important men in the life of Christ. Thomas, one of those 12 apostles, we call him Doubting Thomas. Why? Because when Jesus first appeared to the apostles, Thomas wasn't with them. And then they told him, we've, we've seen the Lord. And he said, nah, I'm not going to go there again. I went there. I gave three years of my life to this dream. I left everything for this dream. And then I saw him die on the cross as a criminal. No angels coming to save him. No reaction from him to come down from the cross. No lightning bolts striking his accusers dead. Nothing. I'm not going to go there unless I can put my finger through the nail holes and stick my hand through where that spear went in his side. I cannot believe again. The next time Jesus appears to all of them, including Thomas Retro, <laughs> and Jesus, instead of condemning him, instead of telling the other ten, "Look, when you replace Judas, why don't you replace Thomas too?" He tells him, "What do you need to believe?" Here. What do you need to believe? And Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God, the God of me, the Lord of me. For anyone else, that would be blasphemy. But for Thomas and Jesus, 
It was worshiping the Son of God. He never lived down that moment. And now, (laughs) in 2021, we still call him what? Doubting Thomas. Two others that wanted to be free from their personal shame are Peter and Paul. Peter in Luke 22 is warned, don't, even though you're talking big, Peter, you're going you're gonna to lose your faith, but you're going to come back around. And Jesus, after the resurrection, takes a special moment to be with Peter and to encourage him in John 21. And we'll say more about Peter in our Wednesday summer series in a couple of weeks. And then, of course, Acts 9 is the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who calls himself the chief of sinners. You don't think he had inward shame? that he needed to let go of? You don't think he remembered all of those times when he said guilty, when he said, here, let me hold your coats while you guys kill Stephen by throwing rocks at him. He never forgot all of those things, ever, ever. But he also never forgot how Jesus freed him from his personal shame, the guilt and shame that he felt. Just like Peter, and in Luke's account, it says that after that third denial and the rooster crow, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And I think that Peter remembered that look until the day he died. Thirdly, this Samaritan woman wanted to be free sin. She wanted to be free from sin. This great passage in Hebrews chapter 2, we will read, beginning at verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Free those who all their lives were held in slavery because they were afraid to die. They were afraid of death because they knew the sinful life they had led, the sinful life we have led. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to set us free. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Paul acknowledges that in Romans chapter 6 as he says the one who has died for us and with whom we have been buried with Christ through baptism into death he has given us a new life and so in Romans 6 verse 5 if we've been united with him in a death like his we'll certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his and then verse 7 anyone who has died has been set free from sin Sin no longer has power over us. Why? Because we've died to sin and we've been buried with Christ through baptism into death and we've been raised to live a new life, a life free from sin. 
Romans chapter 8 continues that great thought. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Other scripture passages remind us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that we could live and not die. John three sixteen. This Samaritan woman wanted to be free from being an outcast. She wanted to be free from her personal shame. She wanted to be free from sin. And we want desperately, need desperately all those same things. All of them. And only Jesus can give them. So on this Independence Day 2021, we thank our God that we live in a free country. And we pray that his love and care would be on our nation and our leaders and on those around the world who are not as blessed as we, as Eric so powerfully shared. And as wonderful and free as our nation is, there is nothing, nothing our nation can do to give this woman and to give us the ability to be truly free. That's where the limitations on this country, no matter who lives in the White House, no matter who has power in Congress, no matter whose justices get elected to the Supreme Court, there is nothing that this country can do to make us truly free. The good news of the gospel is only Jesus offers ultimate freedom, but he does. He does. And that's the message we revel in today in this country and that's the message that those around the world who are meeting in secret who have seen government officials come and kill fellow believers in Jesus Christ because of their faith that's the message they have today as well Jesus and only Jesus gives us offers us ultimate freedom will you come to the fountain free. Will you come? Tis for you and me. Thirsty soul, hear the welcome call. Tis the fountain flowing open for all. Only Jesus offers living water. Only Jesus offers ultimate freedom. If that's what you need today, come as we stand. Sing this great song together. There is a fountain free, tis for you.